0: Welcome back to the Comic Book Historians Podcast. We are continuing the second half of the Frank Thorne interview with Alex Grand and Jim Thompson.
1: I wanted to go back to Playboy just for a minute to ask you about, I've never seen any notes from Hefner to your stuff, but I have seen ones to Harvey Kurtzman and maybe Wally Wood. Did you ever talk to Kurtzman or Elder or anybody that was doing um, other uh, comic stuff in relation to Playboy?
2: Well, I never met Will Elder, but... um... I always felt sorry for Will Elder and uh, little Annie Fanny because Hefner killed it. I mean, he micromanaged that thing, so it was so difficult to read. He added all these things in it and insisted that Elder Kurtzman would do it, but he, he never took any credit for it. And it was running at the same time with Moonshine McJokes, which was a sweet read, fast and funny. And the yeah. uh, little anything, I don't know if you remember, it's beautifully rendered and all that, but it was loaded. Beautiful degree. looking, yeah but you, you would drag on, you know, I mean, you were never bored with Moonshine because it went, it went straight pipe down funny and that was it. Barf, uh, McBuns n- never got a chance to get into Moonshine's panties and uh, everybody in the, in the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the McBuns and uh, McJugs clan got into her panties, but Barf never did and uh, that was the running gag and, uh, and the, even to the last day, Last time it was published, poor Barf never made it. And he was, he was one of the great characters in fiction, unrequited uh, because of his size. And uh, <laughs> I had a, had a little character called uh, Sister Whammy, who was absolutely flawless in her predictions. Uh, she carried a crystal ball, and the only time that she failed to uh, predict was uh, she predicted that barf was going to get into her panties but no never did
0: (laughs) Hmm. was little abner an influence on moonshine mcjugs at all
2: well moonbeam McSwine, it's it sounds he sort of just happened i it works better actually than moonbeam McSwine. uh Hmm. moonshine mcjugs it's got the, you
0: know, the, uh, uh, <laughs> it's got a more of a cachet to it. It uh, does, yeah. It goes for the jugular, in a sense.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I understand that you're primarily associated with, the, in terms of the alternate comics, with the, the pennies. But you actually did... The only cover for Serapis, Dave Sim's Serapis, that was not done by him, and uh, that was not Dave Sim. That was done by someone other than Sim and/or Gerhart. Do you remember that? Yeah. That cover. Yeah. Yes, what were the do.
2: circumstances behind you doing that? I've always been curious. Dave Sim, I I finally met years later. I only met him once. He apparently I don't know much about him, but he apparently he's Canadian he was a strange man. I I don't I don't re- <laughs> yes. I don't really know. But I, what I read about him, I wonder because I gave a a free drawing to because uh, he'd written a fan letter to me, and uh, I made a drawing of Sonia holding. Cerberus in in her hand, and uh, he was very appreciative of that, but that was about the only contact with him, and then he did uh, a parody on Ye of Alzar, I think it went for a couple of issues. I have them around here somewhere, so I really don't know, but he became a religious guy or something, or
1: yeah. he divorced yeah, his he wife. The cover you did, I think, was done as they were getting married and going on their honeymoon because it was pretty early on in the run, and it stands out because it's you, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't even know that that was your cover.
2: Ah, mm-hmm. I don't know whether I have that in my collection. I have a, a scrapbook uh, that oh, yeah? have all that as much as I could gather together, and uh, I have about fifteen of them now. Huge scrapbooks. Hefner had oh, wow. dozens and dozens, and they were all published at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, he collected all of that uh, too. So um, I don't know whether he, you know, if all, all in all, if he had. To, He Maybe he would have been better off being a cartoonist, but he wasn't very good at it. High Eisman uh, was in uh, Who Draws Popeye. He's a friend of mine, an old buddy. We went to art school together, and they had a reunion of the Camp magazine when they were in the service together. Uh, They both worked on the magazine, and uh, they had a 50th reunion, and Hefner came and recognized High. Came up to him and he said, hi, I, I'm glad you made it in comics. I said, I wasn't that good. I didn't make it, but I, I make a lot more money than you do. Mm. <laughs> did you ever meet Jim Warren? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. We uh, we were both exactly the same age. We both played the trumpet at that time. Mm-hmm. We both did gigs in the area. We got along very well. He was... Uh, Very friendly. Sometimes a lot of people didn't like him, but I enjoyed his presence. And uh, he uh, was very enthusiastic about serializing the uh, Guy of Alzar in the magazine. Oh, okay. And uh, that, of course, thrilled me. And uh he said it may bring some negative reviews because of the content. I said, great. I said, uh, Wheezy was working there and Bill DeVay. I said, have them fake some really devastating reviews saying what a piece of crap it was and how horribly uh, explicit it was. Mm. But uh, they didn't have to write it because they came in anyway, which mm. made it even better. Uh, fueled the, uh, and then uh, Tutane picked it up and we got distribution of uh, Guia Valzar and ultimately in about five or six languages. Oh, uh, cool. Iron Devil has got the same number of, uh, she's been in a lot of those too. One just came in Portuguese uh, so uh, and Hermes is is doing, is reprinting all that stuff. uh, The rivet and uh, the uh, the lesser known creations of mine.
1: How did you come to Warren at that time, um, after you left Marvel? Did anybody reach out to you, or, or did you go to, to them? And who was your editor?
2: At that time, I was represented by Al Zuckerman in that writer's house. And um, he thought Guy of Alzar had a great potential. And um, I think he's still around. The uh, writer's house is still around. And uh, anyway, uh, at that point, we were having nice uh, parties there, uh, Christmas parties, and that was the time Then Playboy called, uh, Michelle calls and asked me if I, should, I could uh, contribute something to the magazine, as I mentioned before. So I told Al about it, and uh, he wanted 15% of, that, of my Playboy. I said, well, but she called me. It wasn't you. And so we parted ways at that point. And um, I, on my own, approached uh, Jim Warren with of Valzar. So hey, that's the story of that.
1: Oh, oh and you were riding high off of uh, *Red Sonia*. I mean, people loved that work, so that was, I'm sure, and that's that was a perfect book. It seems like for Warren at the time too.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a, a youthful energy was, which I had no longer have. I amazed looking back at the, the torrent of work that was pouring out of me, and now I have difficulty. I'm on a cane, and I have difficulty getting up and up the stairs uh, without falling over. Oh my but, gosh. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this uh, awaits all of us, you know. I, yeah, re- right. This is a report from the, you know, uh, I am your coming attraction. Uh,
0: so enjoy and produce while you can. Right. Uh, and uh, you sound now, pretty uh, good
1: for a ninety-year-old.
0: Yeah, you sound real. You, you sound very virile and strong. Um,
1: <laughs> so I was going to ask Alex about uh, heavy metal too.
0: Yeah, go or, for it. Yeah, that was the next thing. Go for so it. Yep. Heavy metal. Yes, that was land. Yeah,
1: you were. Right, right. Tell us about that character and what what you were doing there.
2: Well, that was another thing. Uh, they called me. She called me, and asked me if I would contribute something to the magazine. You know, which seems like an incredible. You know, you have Playboy call, and then Heavy Metal call, ask you to do something for the, <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, Thank you, Sonia and et Al. And uh, so I ended up uh, creating LAN. It was uh, recently, uh, Hermes did the Beautiful reprint of it, and uh, I never liked it from the beginning. But it seemed to work when I saw it in black and white. It seemed to have a solidity that I, I didn't like when I originally did it. And uh, oh, time enough has passed, and it puts it into perspective. So she is one of my lesser creations, but I'm still proud of her.
0: and yeah, what, I like land. Yeah,
2: what I have been doing recently, and for the past couple of five or six years, is painting huge images of my characters of panels without any sound effects or balloons of the characters. And uh, they they roughly average three feet by five feet. They're on stretched linen latex with uh, a felt pen. They come out quite beautifully. It's amazing. Uh, When you see them, I have a graphics house that gives me a fantastic, actual, detailed enlargement and i have a method of transferring it to the linen which will remain secret <laughs> all right and uh, uh really i have dozens and dozens of them now and i have a problem with storage our daughter has a much bigger house she lives in pennsylvania she yeah. has a lot of them so uh, i await somehow to connect with a gallery that'll show one or two of these and uh because I w- would like to uh, get a decent payment for them.
0: I don't. Yeah, know. you emailed me one sample a couple weeks ago, and I was really amazed by that one panel, but it has movement in it, although there's no wavy lines of movement, but the mm. expression and what you've captured on that page of that woman's facial expression, yeah. um, I can almost feel the movement. As I look at that.
2: <laughs> that was the mermaid from uh, Book 3 of, of
0: Ribbit. Uh, yeah, there you go. Ribbit. That, so you that, did that for Comico, right? Yes.
2: Yeah. There's also a fantastic one of Sonia that's that size. It's just a, it's a close-up, but the eyes and the sweep of the hair, the lines that I originally drew are enlarged and beefed in so that you get the total effect of it, as you see in that one that I sent you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you doing I love it, it on that scale because of, of vision? Is it easier to work when it's larger like that?
2: Well, that's true, but I can still do what uh, uh, I'm doing it right now. Behind me is a, a very large Leaping Sonia, which is has no blacks. Mm-hmm. It's all very, very light line work, but it is large. I can manage some of the small faces and fingers and fingernails. I'm working within my limitations as best I can. I have a happy aspect of my life that I can't wait to get up in the morning and get back at it. And I still have trouble sleeping at night when I figure I have the wrong color on something, uh, you know. But uh, those are a small price to pay for enjoying uh, what I'm doing. My mm-hmm. age.
0: How was working uh, with Comico? Were they pretty easy to deal with? And um, were those comics and like your '90s reprints were they profitable for you?
2: Ribbit was a money loser for Comico. Okay. They have a, it was run by a guy whose father was a, a sports guy. Some, he had money from a, owning a football team or something. He mm-hmm. set his son up, and the son didn't know much about comics, so it came in uh, into being in that respect, and they, they produced a pretty full line of, of comic books, mm-hmm. but uh, it ultimately failed. I, I don't know whether it went on for what, two or three years. Mm-hmm. could have been four years. Maybe. I don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, I I have that. I think it's a five issue run. It's the Erotic Worlds of Frank Thorne Yeah, um, th- and those was, are reprints from the '90s, but they have yeah. pictures of you and Linda Burl in them and all that stuff. Right, uh, right. Um, that was that. That was, um,
2: Fantagraphics.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, that, Fantagraph- uh, uh-huh. Aero Fantagraphics. Uh Arrow saved
2: Fantagraphics. In a sense, the uh, uh, the erotic stuff uh, got them over a bad spot, and oh. um, Gary produces. Great stuff! Mm-hmm. Wonderful treasures to the comic world, yeah. um, and the um, erotic worlds of Frank Thorne were were, I guess, part of that. But it was before I produced all, all that lettering, so it's all by hand. All of those uh, titles, uh, and you know, I had always done all the lettering, title lettering by hand. And uh, okay. so, when you look at it, it's easy to just pass over. Iron Devil and so forth, but you got to realize that that was not done on a computer. It was done all by hand. It's amazing. A gun, uh, you know, now it's uh, a computer. That, uh, what Dynamite did when they reproduced all my Sonya stuff without paying me anything, mm-hmm. not a centilla, they ruined all my stuff and they keep running it and running it. And they're still doing the same thing. They have somebody color. These uh, my drawings. Who, who doesn't know how to draw? Mm-hmm. And so they try to turn a form, and they they don't know. And it, it, to me, it ruins the it ruins right. my. And uh, what they're doing to Sonia is just dreadful. I mean, they're making her little cartoons and uh, crap. Yeah, you know.
0: yeah, it kind of loses some of the sensuality, right? Yeah. Mm. Now, you also did a couple other things. You did an illustrated history of Union County. Yes. And uh, that was reprinted by Fantagraphics in 2005. But from what I've been reading, it's a serialized strip of prehistoric to modern New Jersey's Union County. Did you start this in the late 40s while you were in art school? Was this like an early life project? I mean, what was that? I was an 18-year-old kid when I did that and um,
2: it ran in the uh, Elizabeth Dale Journal. And to quite a bit of success, I was getting $25 a page for them. It ran, ran every day, except uh, Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. And um, that was quite a job, again, because I started it before we were married, and then we get married and that whole thing, and I going into the service, uh, special service in the Army, and uh, producing that at the time, and I don't know how the hell I did it then, and I could never do it now. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, So it was compiled, and uh, uh, I did a cover, a special cover, and it uh, charmed Gary so much that he he printed it. That, to my amazement.
0: Oh, that's that, awesome. That's the
2: story of that.
0: So you get along well with Gary Groth.
2: Yeah, yeah, yes I did. I haven't heard from Gary, but occasionally, uh, He'll cut a deal for, like the Portuguese Iron Devil is uh, his deal, and and he uh, never asked for any kind of recompense for the cutting the deal. But it's no big deal, so it doesn't really matter.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. And then have you, you wrote, ever met uh, Gary? Uh, I have not met Gary. I've seen him at a convention. At his booth, just surrounded by, you know, a lot of buying and selling of his books. And I've read quite a bit of fanographics. I've not spoken to him in person, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about Uh, Ditko? Have you ever met Ditko? I did Who has not met meet Ditko.
2: Nobody. <laughs> yeah,
0: nobody's met Ditko. Well, I, I did meet his uh, his nephew. He and I have uh, started a, a bit of a friendship uh, recently after Steve Ditko died. And I have met and corresponded with Jim Starenko. Have you ever met Starenko?
2: Yes, I have.
0: Yeah. His
2: mark is uh, obvious to all who know a lot about comics, which is not me, I don't know much about comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, i met him and we had a lot of fun. We had dinner together when we were in San Diego. Mm-hmm. We all uh, sketched on a table cloth after they m- removed the food. Everybody did uh, one of their characters and I did Red Sonja. Oh, cool. and I don't know who, who got that table cloth, but whoever did has got something that's worth quite a bit of money now.
0: So a couple other questions, uh, two more pretty much. Um, You wrote and illustrated The Crystal Ballroom in 2003. Tell us about that. Well, The Crystal
2: Ballroom came out, uh, perhaps my greatest written
0: work is something called The
2: Barrington Hall Sketchbook, Mm -hmm. which was uh, uh, self-published. And uh, I sent it, it's had all my drawings of my youth, but it's, the perfect voice of a twelve-year-old kid uh, never have uh, is so spot on. The voice remains to the very end, and uh, uh, Gary saw it and he said, "Boy, this deserves a wider audience." So mm-hmm. uh, that burst the Crystal Ballroom, and uh, unfortunately, the voice is not as clear in the Crystal Ballroom as it is. And there was another one. I can't remember, but if you were to get a copy of uh, the Barrington Hole sketchbook, which actually that book deserves to be printed in uh, bound form, but I don't know whether uh, it's, that's possible at this point in my life, but uh, mm-hmm. that's one thing that should be out there. And I, I would add one of my early heroes was Harry Devlin. Had you heard of Harry Devlin?
0: Have you heard of Harry Devlin, Jim? No, I am Yeah, he was a cartoonist for uh, Colliers and Saturday oh, okay. Evening Post. Yeah. Saturday Evening Post, I got you, a magazine yeah, illustrator yeah. guy, okay.
2: And um I worship his drawings and uh, through connection I got the chance to go to his studio which was in uh, nearby in Mountainside, which is a couple of miles from here. Uh-huh. Uh, I came in with my portfolio and he looked over it. He was in very cocky in his thirties and they had about eight kids, five or six, seven, eight kids. And um, he looked at it, and he, he said, I should pursue another line of work. <laughs> <laughs> With moist eye, I closed my portfolio and left and uh, <laughs> and produced the Illustrated History of Union County. I gotcha. And um, soon after that, I'm in King Features doing Perry Mason. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's
0: that sequence of events. So that was kind of a a, divergence in the road there.
2: I think he was a bit bothered by the fact that he told me that. But Mm -hmm. he taught me a great lesson, and the greatest lesson I ever learned was that uh, never discourage young talent, because you just never know what's going to come on. So then he, to make amends, he invited us to come to uh, dinner with Noel Sickles And Milton Kinnett. Oh, wow. And and, uh, that uh, was a grand affair. And, of course, I'd been corresponding with Toth. And when Toth heard that Sickles was, that I had actually talked to Sickles because Toth had called Sickles and Sickles hung up on him because he thought he was a nutcase. And uh, he wanted me to intercede to get somehow a response from Sickles. And uh, I felt maybe I shouldn't get involved in this and uh, Toth, he was offended by that. And uh, I didn't hear, he he sent these wonderful postcards with all the ridiculous writing on it. Toth owned the uh, 60s, he was fantastic, uh, but a a, a strange man.
1: Did you keep those postcards?
2: I have a few, yes. Uh, I wish I had kept more of them. I gave them to a lot of people. Because they're worth a lot of money. Uh, that's
1: a subject that's come up before in in our podcast. Uh, people who have those toast postcards and, and yeah.
2: correspondence. Yeah, I have a couple of those. He he attacked me viciously for my uh, pornographic work, oh. and but, but then he would flip and. It wasn't so bad, and then when I got in, and uh, when Al Zuckerman took me on at Writer's House, he—it was offense to him. He said, "What about me?" Mm-hmm. He said, I "Action heroes or whatever it is, hooray for ho- heroism or something." And I said, "Alex, I—I'm uh, Al. I'll mention him, and then he—he never contacted toth and toth was mad at uh, Zuckerman and uh, me, and. Uh, Another strange one is Neil Adams. He's got a strange side to him. Because we were in Europe uh, at um, uh, one of the salons in Barcelona, and he um, he says strange things. Uh, What a talent he is, but he's a a strange fellow.
0: What kind of strange things would
2: he say? For instance, we were at the salon, and I was at a table next to his, and I had about five people in front of me signing, I was signing books and making sketches. He was next to me and he had a, about 30 people in line for, to get his signature. And his wife Marilyn, who's the same name as my wife, she was sitting next to him and a little Barcelonian young man about 15 or 16 came up and back and cupped her. And uh, oh, he was furious, he threw a, a sketch pad at him and he got up and stormed off with Marilyn. And of course the line moved to me and uh, I, I spent the next hour <laughs> signing, signing, signing.
0: <laughs> Yeah, you were the one left st- signing stuff after that. And then Noel Sickles, how was he to have dinner with?
2: I found him very genial, a very nice guy. He was, he and Harry were very close. Harry's oldest son was named for him, and uh, his war- early work was unparalleled. Sickle stuff! Oh, boy, was mm-hmm. he ever good!
0: Mm-hmm. And he was there with Milton Kniff, Like you guys were all hanging out together at that dinner.
2: Yeah, as I say,
0: for I
2: always felt that it was a kind of an, a payment for for what he had t- said to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, right, he to knew dissuade that he you from it. Yeah. that to me how was it with seeing um, Kniff and Sickles how w- could you get a sense of their relationship at all or the uh, contrast in their personalities oh, oh they were
2: interacted very well it was a wonderful gathering memorable in, in every respect which drove Toast up the wall um, <laughs> he couldn't be there and uh, Sickles thought he was a nutcase and Toast thought he was a Sickles was a genius, and he—he it was—it was an obeisance that he offered, but it was rejected.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Now Toth, did you guys ever have a falling out, or did you pretty much have smooth sailing in your I, relationship? Other than
2: I, I never met him at San Diego. He—he he had um, constantly a crowd because he was the minimalist genius of the '60s. Right. And uh, he had huge fan following. His artwork got huge. anybody uh, to buy a piece that would cost a lot of money. I got a chance to see him. I never broke through because I didn't want to interrupt uh, those fans that were surrounded him. So I only saw him from afar. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, communicated over the years. Interesting. Did you have any now-
1: interaction with Stanley? Besides that one uh, write-up in uh, uh Well,
2: book. I saw Stan occasionally. My visits to Marvel offices were very few, because I mailed everything in. So I think I spotted him a couple of times, and then came the uh, the, the aforementioned meeting when they decided that we're going to put an inker on me and and uh, make Sonya look like the rest of the line. He
1: was there for that meeting?
2: Yeah, Stan was there, yeah, yeah, he oh, was there. I liked him, uh, and everybody seemed to like him. But he took credit, sort of, he didn't draw any of that stuff. It was Ditko, and you know, and, uh, that actually created the Spider-Man, I mean, in that mm-hmm. sense. He's getting credit yeah. now. And toward the end of his life, uh, Stan Lee, the damage was already done, he'd taken credit for those things, when he really shouldn't have gotten full credit, he should have credited the,
0: the real creators. Right, that's interesting, and that's cool to hear your what your view is on that. Because mm. um, a lot of people sometimes don't want to talk about that, and but it's cool to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now uh, you've done other media, so you wrote and produced what Two Lord and a Lady. About uh, Elizabeth Lee Frazee and the Battle of Short Hills, yes, is that right? Yeah. Yes, so that tell us what, what what is that project?
2: Well, it was uh, the local Rotary. There was a historic house in a in a neighborhood that was built in the seventeen uh, forties. It still stands today, but it, is, it was in a bad case of disrepair. It had become a zoo and so forth. So, um, in order to raise money to restore it. I wrote and produced a film called Two Lords and a Lady, which involved the meeting of Lord Cornwallis and Lord Howe with Aunt Betty Frizzy, who was a baker of bread. And it was quite elaborate. And we had a lot of help from WBGH in Boston, allowed us to use a lot of their footage because I. Push the deal, saying, you know, this is an only for just to raise the money, because I usually charge twenty dollars a second for uh, any footage that they use that's to be used so they waived that and we got to be it was about 24 25 minute uh our son-in-law john fazio fazio Filmworks. Uh, he's um he did it it's followed now by he's doing a, a treatment a, a documentary on myself being his uh, father-in-law and um he's uh, been working on that for several years. I don't know whether I'll ever live to see it, but somebody may see it someday. But a lot of people have seen two lords and a lady. And um, that's a legitimate credit. I can take credit for that.
0: That's great. And it's cool (laughs) to see that. uh, It's good for people to see that you've gone beyond uh, into other media, Mm -hmm. um, that you have uh, many talents. Mm -hmm. You know, in one interview, and this is kind of a wrap-up question in a way, is on one interview, you know, you've made it pretty clear that superheroes is not a preferred art genre for you. Right. But you did say in an interview one time that you liked the movie Superman 2 in 1980. Is there a particular reason why you liked that movie and Chris Reeve's performance? What's your take on that?
2: Well, I was cool to it, but I all, all of them, I preferred the second one because mm-hmm. Reeve was so perfect. As Superman, mm-hmm. but I he's actually ladies in it you know no, it's uh I'll pass on that what what's happening today is you get wonderful actors like uh Mark Ruffalo and uh you yeah. know, it, Playing in these transformer movies or Iron Man or something, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what the hell are they doing? And you know, and and most of the time, their stuntmen are doing whatever they do. Right. So, so, uh, but I guess they get a good paycheck and. the independence is still producing wonderful movies. You, you just got to know where to
0: find them. Where to find them. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess final question is, you said this, I think, in the early 2000s, that despite the rise of digital access, that comic books will always be around. Do you still feel that way?
2: Yeah, I think so, in some form. Yeah, I, I think so. King Features, you know, uh, uh, High eisman does Popeye and they keep it going because it maybe only has two papers so they because somebody may want to make a movie out of it right so they it's worth them to pay high uh, a good salary to write it, but, but to keep it out there same with uh mandrake the magician mm-hmm. and, and the phantom i think phantom was a movie uh, yeah but uh, yeah they keep them so in a way they're the birthplace uh you just some of what's going to be developed in the future that might need content like that.
0: Right, it's the birthplace of ideas, and in a way, comics act as a storyboard for yeah, yeah, future yeah. other media. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, Frank, you know th- this has been a really fun interview for us. Oh. I, we really appreciate your okay, time it has and been um, fun. thank you so much for joining us and walking down memory lane with us a little. Oh, okay. Well. It's yeah, a thanks, ple- Frank. It was a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I remember when uh, we I sent that email a few months back, and it's just really exciting to see that it, it worked out. And um, again, thanks for joining us today on the Comic Book Historians Podcast.
2: Okay, well, thank you very much. <laughs>
0: Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye bye.